All right, Galatians chapter 1. And I want to I preface this by saying don't miss the next four weeks because we're going to be getting into Galatians chapter 2. And well, we really are, Lord willing. Crick don't rise. Um, and we're going to learn so many important things about Grace Baptist Church. Who are we? How do we stand? What do we stand for? How do we love and support each other? What, what is our purpose in the world? Galatians 2 gives us that. So be here and invite somebody. If you know, how many of you know somebody that they're struggling with trying to find a good church? How many of you know people that are like that right now? Invite them. For these next few weeks, they're going to learn who we are, what the Bible says about a church, what we're supposed to be doing. And I, I really hope that you'll be here. Pray for it. Read Galatians chapter 2. Start to get your mind around it because we're going to have a great time in it. Now, this week, because we still have folks on vacation and so many things going on, I had considered preaching um, just an encouraging and a helpful message. But I got home and started reading Galatians again and said, no, we got we to gotta just keep going. And there's a verse that we have read several times, but we've not taken the time to really dig into it. And that's what we're going to do today. So look with me at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. So here's our question for the hour. How do we glorify God? How did the Apostle Paul, why was it that they glorified God in Paul? How do we glorify God? Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Grace Baptist Church. And as I told our Sunday school class this morning, I just love being back here. I love these people. There's no place like this. And I'm so thankful for the, the lives that you've brought together in this place. Lord, please be with those of our family who are away today. And I pray that they're having a great time of rest and and that you're helping them recharge their batteries to dive back into the work. But most of all, Father, today, we're going to focus on you and your word and how we can glorify you in these bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. How do we glorify God? And that's a pretty big question, isn't it? And that's what we're going to look at today. They glorified God in me. So the first question we have to ask is this, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? And all of us have heard that we were created to glorify God. We've all heard that before. But what does that mean and how do we do it? So let's begin with what is the glory of God? And the first thing that we have to ask is how do you define the indefinable? See, if you can understand God, then you're his equal. Anytime that we try to define God, we diminish it's indescri he's indescribable. One writer said it this way, if you're going to describe a basketball, you're going to say it's round, it's kind of orange, it has black stripes on it, generally made of leather, has grooves in it so that you can grip it, it bounces enough so that you can dribble it, it's, it's round enough so that you can shoot it accurately. You can describe a basketball pretty carefully. But then ask someone to describe beauty. How, how do you describe it? I would have Laura stand up. 
how, how do you... I know Wade's back there going, Ugh. <laughs> How do you describe beauty? You can't. So now we're going to talk about how do you describe the glory of God. What we're going to do is we're going to go to some examples of this in the Old Testament. Go to Exodus chapter 33 with me. Remember what's happened. Moses is on Mount Sinai with God. And can you imagine how God described Moses? He said he speaks to him as a friend face to face. Moses must have been something special. Uh, remember when Miriam and, and Aaron were murmuring against Moses and he, God, God set them aside and said, were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? And God called him the meekest man on the face of the earth. It's an amazing man. But look at this. Moses is on the mountain with God, verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Isn't that a great statement? And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Do you think Moses understood what he was asking? If he did, he wouldn't have asked it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon... Now, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, if you've been here for any length of time, you know he's one of my favorite uh, uh, preachers in history. He was a pastor in the late 1800s. He had a photographic memory. He could read three or four books at a time. He, he was just a brilliant, brilliant man. He was called the Prince of Preachers. Listen to what he said about this request. This is what Spurgeon... This was a sermon that Spurgeon preached. Now, let me say this. Spurgeon, I've seen his sermon outlines. On Saturday night, he would have studied and prayed and thought about the message all week. On Saturday night, he'd write three or four lines on a piece of paper. Half a sheet of paper, three or four handwritten lines. And then he'd go to the pulpit and preach. And what I'm going to read you is what came out. So this is on, show me thy glory. Spurgeon said, that was a large request to make. He could not have asked for more. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Why, it is the greatest petition that man ever asked of God. It seems to me the greatest stretch of faith that I have either heard or read of. It was great faith which made Abraham go into the plain to offer up intercession for a guilty city like Sodom. It was vast faith which enabled Jacob to grasp the angel. It was mighty faith which enabled Elijah to rend the heavens and fetch down rain from skies which had been like brass before. But it appears to me that this prayer contains a greater amount of faith than all the others put together. It is the greatest request that a man could make to God. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Had he requested a fiery chariot to whirl him up to heaven? Had he asked to cleave the water floods and drown the chivalry of a nation? Had he prayed the Almighty to send fire from heaven to consume whole armies? I could have found a parallel to this prayer. But when he offers this petition... I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He stands alone, a giant among giant, a colossus even in those days of mighty men. His request surpasses that of any other man. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Among the lofty peaks and summits of man's prayers that rise like mountains to the skies, this is the culminating point. This is the highest elevation that faith ever gained. It is the loftiest place to which the greatest ambition of faith could climb. 
It is the topmost pillar of all the towering structures that confidence ever piled. I am astonished that Moses himself should have been bold enough to supplicate so wondrous a favor. Surely, after he had uttered the desire, his bones must have trembled, his blood curdled in his veins, and his hair must have stood on end. Did he not wonder at himself? Did he not tremble at his own hardihood? We believe that such would have been the case had not the faith which prompted the prayer sustained him in the review of it. It was truly an amazing request. Can you imagine saying to God, show me your glory? Now remember what we're trying to discover. The Apostle Paul said they glorified God in me. We're trying to discern what is the glory of God. Well, God himself in his response to Moses tells us what his glory is. Let's look at it. It's chapter 33 and verse 19. And he said, I will make all my what? Goodness pass before thee. So look at what he says. The, the request is, show me your glory. And God said, I'll show you my goodness. So we're starting to get an understanding of what God's glory is. God's glory it includes His goodness. Now, let's, let's read on. And He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So can't you picture this? Moses has requested to see God's glory, and God said, okay, here, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. Have you ever wondered if God just kind of picked him up, took him to maybe, uh, what's the highest mountain? What is it that people always try to climb? Everest, yeah. Picked him up and took him to Everest and kind of dropped him. And he says, here, uh, there, there's, there's, a, there's a cliff, there's, a, there's a, a gouge in it. I want you to hide in there. And I'm going to put my hand over it. Now, now, what we do sometimes is we think of all this stuff as spiritualized. There, there's no like or as. This is what God did. God put his hand over the cleft and walked by and removed his hand like this and showed him his back parts. What was he seeing? He was seeing the residue of God's glory. Really interesting. And here's what he did. He went like this, and he said, I am. What an amazing thing. What is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Well, it's his goodness. That's what we're seeing. And the proclamation of his name. So how do we glorify God? Let's find another place. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. What is the glory of God? Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. Man, it's so good to be back with you all. 
I miss preaching the Word of God. So we might be here a while. No, there we are. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And or it says, above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. So you've got a picture of this seraphim, six wings, two are covering their face. Why? Because they can't look on God. Two, they cover their feet, because the feet is a sign of, of, of unrighteousness and unholiness. And with two, they fly. And they're saying something. These seraphims are saying something to each other. And look at what they say. And one, verse 3, And one cried unto another, and saith, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His, what? So here's what glory is. The, the whole earth is full of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. In context to His holiness. And we understand in the Bible, when something is repeated three times, that is the ultimate emphasis in Scripture. God is not one time holy, not two times holy. He's three times holy. Why? Because He's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. He's holy. Do you know what the glory of God is? The glory of God is the visible manifestation of God's holiness. That's what His glory is. Look with me in John chapter... Oh, look, look, before we go on, you've got to see something. We're still in Isaiah chapter 6. Because God's glory is the revelation of His holiness, it's the making, it's, it's, it's the making visible of the holiness of God. Because you can't see holiness, right? His glory is God making His holiness visible. All right, so now look at what happens. Verse 4. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah's response. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Alexander McLaren, another great pastor from the 1800s, he said this, The seraphim cry one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. And listen to what he said. He said, And does not that teach us the incapacity of the highest creature with the purest vision to gaze undazzled into the shining light of God? Here you have... Angels, and they are sinless angels, or they would not be in the presence of God, right? These are not angels that had fallen. And even they cannot view the glory of God. It, 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 this, this glory, it's really something special. God's glory is the visible expression of His holiness. God's holiness is absolute purity, with no admixture of evil. Absolute, complete purity. Spurgeon said this in another place. To me, the greatest privilege in all the world would be perfect holiness. If I had my choice of all the blessings I conceive of, I would choose perfect conformity 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, or in one word, holiness. So what is holiness for the believer? Holiness for the believer is conformity to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness is Christ-likeness. Right? So let's all just be like Jesus. Uh, Praying like this, Lord, make me like Jesus. That's right up there with show me your glory. It's unbelievable. And what Isaiah experienced is what happens when God reveals your sinfulness to you all at once. See, as a believer, what happens to us is we get saved. We understand that we're a sinner. And then we start to have some victories and we start feeling better about ourselves. How many of you experienced that? Right? But then you get to know God more and more. And the more you get to know God, the more sinful you find out that you are. So you start by, Lord, I need you. I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. You get saved. And then after you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And like 1 John chapter 2 says, some of you are like young men who have overcome the wicked one. You've had some, you've had some victories in your life. But then you get to know God the Father and you understand His righteousness. You begin to comprehend some of His holiness. And what you say is, woe is me for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. One man wrote this way. He said, um, we are fortunate in one respect. God does not appear to us in the way he appeared to Isaiah. Who could stand it? God normally reveals our sinfulness to us one bit at a time. We experience a gradual recognition of our own corruption. God showed Isaiah his corruption all at once. No wonder he was undone. You know what that means? Woe is me for for I am undone. He was falling apart. He just, he fell apart weeping and just completely out of control. He was ruined. And it took an angel of God to lift him up and to give him strength again. Because we can't stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about what if, how do we glorify God? Before we can glorify God, we have to understand what His glory is. And what we've seen is His glory is His goodness, His holiness, and the exaltation of His name. That's what God's glory is. So then, how do we glorify God? Sometimes it's easier to understand how to do something by look at, looking at how not to do it. Right? Here's how not to do it. So go with me to Romans chapter 1. How do we glorify God? Romans chapter 1. Remember what the book of Romans is? Romans is uh, the greatest doctrinal instruction that we have in Scripture The Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laid down much of our understanding of our relationship with God through the book of Romans. So now let's start reading in verse 17. Romans chapter 1. Uh, Let's start in verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation... To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice that he doesn't say it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that, that uh, does good. To everyone that goes to church. To everyone that gets baptized. To everyone that gives the tithe. To everyone that pays their taxes. No. 
No, you've got to believe the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. All right? So now, look at what it says in verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Where? In the gospel. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So there's no such thing as an atheist. Don't ever miss that. There's no such thing as an atheist. Every person knows that there is a God. God has revealed it to them in the heavens, even His wrath. Now look at what it says. Verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God... Now look at what it says. What did they do? They glorified Him not as God. All right? So look at what we're doing. They glorified God in the Apostle Paul. We're trying to discover how can we glorify God. We're learning initially that the glory of God is God's goodness and His holiness and the exaltation of His name. The proclamation of His name. That's that's God's glory. We're learning now how not to glorify Him. So here are some people who when they knew who God was, they didn't glorify Him as God. So what did that result in? Look at what the Bible says. Verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Now it's interesting. I think this is fascinating. Doctrinal preaching. Where, where you are letting the Bible define what truth is. Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. When we define what God wants us to know by actually skimming the Scriptures, uh, sifting through the Word of God and letting Him describe it, all of a sudden it moves it from the ivory tower of academia down to something all of us can understand. We might not understand holiness, but we do understand thankfulness. You know the best way? To not glorify God? Don't be thankful. How could God allow this to happen to me? Doesn't He know I'm one of His best servants? You see? We're starting to understand we, how to glorify God by seeing how God described those who didn't glorify Him. All right? So let's, let's read on. Thankfulness. Isn't it amazing how often thankfulness comes up? Wow. I think the cure to every problem is thankfulness. I really do. Um, Then, neither were thankful, middle of verse 21, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed what? The glory of the uncorruptible God. Now, are you seeing a relation to God's goodness and His holiness? God's glory is the manifestation, the visible expression of His holiness. The glory of the uncorruptible God. He can't be corrupted. God cannot sin. It is impossible for God to sin or to be stained by it. 
Those of us who are trying to live a holy life, many times we are stained by the sin of people around us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have heard things that you wish you'd never heard? How many of you have seen things that were put before you that you wish you had never seen? Right? We become violated by the sin of those around us. God not only cannot sin, He cannot be influenced by the sin around Him. That's why Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ was able to be holy, harmless, undefiled. That's our Savior. Okay, so now, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. See, when we think of idols, we think of um, statues. Right? We think of, you know, maybe some thing from Africa or uh, an idol in, in Rome or something like that. What we don't realize is many times it's what we see when we look in the mirror. Where we have become our own God, our own decision maker, our own final authority, our own judge. That's corruptible man. And they changed the glory of God, the glory of the uncorruptible God into that of corruptible man and four-footed beasts and creeping things. It's amazing what people worship, isn't it? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, don't miss this. What do you notice about God? When, he, when God describes his character, what does he almost always include? Creator. He is our creator. The perfect and holy and good God created us and he has the authority. He has the authority to require things from us. Isn't that right? One of the things he requires is worship. So we're starting to learn, how do we glorify God? Well, first of all, we must give him the glory that he's due. We don't change his glory into something that it's not. His glory is righteousness and pure holiness. Let me give you an example. One of the big things that, that we've heard lately, how many of you have heard this? What would Jesus do? That's very subjective. I think we need a bracelet that says, what did Jesus do when he was here on earth doing things? That'd be, a, that'd be a better bracelet. See, that, that removes the subjective. I've told you before, one man said that when he thought of Jesus, he thought of Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Let's go to the land of make-believe. See, Mr. Trolley. And he had this idea. Why would anyone want to kill Mr. Rogers? Well, I can think... No, that's... <laughs> and, and what we discover is that the world has made Jesus into something that he's not. They, they, here's what they've done. They've changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into that of a corruptible man. And that's why in many churches in Sydney today, they don't believe that Jesus Christ was sinless. They don't believe that he was truly God. They don't believe that. They believe he was a good man. 
In many Christian churches in Sydney, Ohio, they do not believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Perfect. Sinless. They don't believe that. What have they done? They're robbing God of His glory. How many of you think that can glorify God? No. No. They changed the truth of God into a lie. And if I may be so bold, that's how you can have sodomites in places of authority in Christian churches. Is that what the text just said? Let's, I'm not making it up. Romans chapter 1. Verse 26, next verse, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat." And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. This is what happens. How do you end up with a church where you have sodomites in leadership? When people change the glory of God into something that it's not. Is that right? So how do we glorify God? How are we going to glorify God? Well, these people, and, and here's what we say, you and I, here's what I would say if someone was presenting this argument to me. Well, these are the irreligious people. These are the Oprah Winfrey's of the world. These, these are the, 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 the weirdos. These are the, the people that are the anti-God. These are the irreligious. What about the religious? Well, Paul deals with them in Romans chapter 2. Look at Romans chapter 2. And look at verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Now look at what it says in verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. So now, the Apostle Paul moves from the irreligious, those who are worshiping idols, to the religious, these circumcised Jews who were living under the law, who proclaimed the righteousness of the law while not keeping it themselves. What did God say about them? They blaspheme the name of God. Remember, what is the glory of God? It's His goodness, His holiness, and the proclamation of His name. Here you have people that claim to be righteous. They claim to be religious. But because they have their hope in something other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ, they are blaspheming His name. So now we're learning something. How do we glorify God? Well, the opposite of it is to not worship God as the one true God and Jesus Christ as the sinless Son of God. That's one way. Another way is to think that you can be good enough to go to heaven. To think that your own righteousness, by keeping the law, by being baptized, by being a church member, by being faithful, you think those things are good enough to take you to heaven. Do you know what that is in the sight of God? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. 
Blasphemy is anything that robs God of His glory. Anything that dishonors His name, that's blasphemy. I was at a funeral for a preacher, and this preacher was almost worshipped, and uh, which is what? Blasphemy. And here's, what, here's one of the things that the guy said at his funeral, one of the preachers. He said, a lot of you here think that this man was your best friend. He, because he had spent so much time with God that some of God had rubbed off on him and he was supernatural in his ability to be your friend. What is that? Blasphemy. Another man about this, about this man, a preacher, about this guy who had died, he preached a message and he went about doing good. And he said, now I know this verse is about Jesus, but I want to talk about so-and-so today. I talked about how he went about doing good. What is that? Blasphemy. See, in Christianity, especially in America, we have this cult of celebrity. This cult of celebrity. We cannot exalt any preacher to the level of Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't have any more, I don't have any more information from God than you do. I don't have any greater position with God than you do. I, I have no greater insight into spiritual things than you do. If you have the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, we are all equal before Him. Amen? And we all bow at His feet and say, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That's, that's the truth. All right? So now, we're, we're learning some things. Irreligious people are condemned. Religious people are blasphemers. So is there any hope for us? What are we going to do? I've got the answer. Let's work harder. We, we just got to try harder to be righteous. We, we just have to do more. We have to give more. You know, we got to pay this thing off. You people need to give more in order to be holy. Try harder. We just need to work harder. We need to be holier. You know what I need to do? I need to give up more. Here, uh, you know what I need to do? I need to climb up on top of a pole and just sit there. There was a monk that did that. Somebody know how long did he stay up there? Like a year and a half or something? Just give everything up. I like nice ties. I need to start wearing ties like Wade News. I don't want to wear nice ties anymore. I need to. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Let's give up more. Let's see. Let's become Amish. Right? Amish lady divorced her husband. He drove her buggy. Amish lady divorced. Or Amish man divorced Amish lady. All the electricity was gone from the relationship. All the jokes are gone from Grace Baptist Church. <laughs> let's become Amish. Let's, let's give up. Let's give up buttons. Because buttons are sinful. Zippers are certainly sinful. Let, let's give that up. Because if we're going to glorify God, that means I have to give everything up. So what we need to do in order to glorify God, here's how we're going to do it. You ready? Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to get more holy and we're going to give more stuff up. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should believe a lie? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? 
It's interesting. It's interesting. So how? Let's, let's figure this out. Go to Romans chapter 4. How are we going to glorify God? Let's start reading in verse 19. Uh, let's look at verse 18. Who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So here's what Abraham did. Abraham didn't just believe in nothing, you know, faith and faith. What do you believe? I don't know, I just believe. What, what do you believe in? I don't know. It's out there somewhere. No, he believed in the promise of God. How many of you think that's something that's concrete? Right? He believed in the promise of God. So shall thy seed be. Verse 19. And being not weak in what? He considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. Now, 100-year-old people don't have kids. Is that right? Unless you're Abraham. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in what? Giving glory to God. So we've looked at how not to glorify God. Now, how do we glorify God? We don't try harder. We don't try to be more righteous. We don't give up things. How do we glorify God? By faith. By faith. Specifically, let's look at how he did it. First of all, he didn't stagger in unbelief. Look at what it says. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So how does this come down to where we live? How does it come down to where we are right now? What happens when your family member gets cancer? Do you still believe God? What happens when you lose your job? Do you stagger in faith? Or do you believe God? What happens when life doesn't go the way that you thought it would? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you ever prepared for a life that never happened? Don't, don't, you don't have to testify about it right now. A lot of people have. This is not where I, would, that, where I thought I would be. You think Abraham was where he thought he would be? God promised him a child. Now he's 100 years old. Where's the child? He didn't stagger in faith. How do we glorify God? Believe His promises. It's interesting. What is the first thing that those of a reprobate mind did in the book of Romans? They weren't thankful. They weren't thankful. So what's the first step that we can take as believers to bring God glory? How about we just be thankful? In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. That's where it starts. Thankfulness. And then believe His promises. We can be thankful because His promises are true. His promises are sure. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He will protect you. He'll keep you. He'll instruct you. He'll guide you with His own eye, according to the book of Psalms. So, first thing, don't stagger in faith. What is staggering in faith? It's unbelief. What's the opposite of unbelief? Faith. So how do we glorify God? By works. How do we glorify God? 
See, we've really gotten messed up in Christianity. Sacramental Christianity has destroyed this. This idea, if you want to glorify God, you've got to take the sacraments. You've got to do all these things. That came into Christianity through this works-based Christianity. You, you've got to give up all of these things in order to be holy. Now, let me say this. have got to stop right here. We must separate from evil. Biblical separation is vital to the Christian life. But biblical separation is not what brings glory to God. The separation follows the belief. I believe what you said, so I'm not going to do these things. You see the right order? You don't do these things to receive the faith. By faith, then you can serve. By faith, then holiness comes. That's why then we get to the book of Peter and it says, Be ye holy as he is holy. We can be holy. We can have personal holiness but only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only by faith, not by works. You cannot work to be holy. All of our works are as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. All right? So first, he didn't stagger in unbelief. Then, look at the, that's the negative. Look at the positive. But was strong in faith. Strong. Where is your strength? Your strength is made perfect in weakness. Your strength is in your faith. Your strength is in not trusting yourself, not being, not boasting in yourself. What does it take heed? He is, what is it? He is proud. Take heed, lest he fall. That, that's not exactly the right quote, but but that's the idea. When you're lifted up in pride, you got to be careful because you're going to fall. If you want to stand, stand on the faith in the, your, your, the faith of Jesus Christ, the confidence in the promises of God. All right. So he did not stagger in unbelief. He was strong in the faith. And what was the result of that? Giving glory to God. So now, let's take this home. Let's take this home. Many of you, many of you in this room today, man, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're at a point in life where you don't know which way to go. You've come to a fork in the road and you don't know which way to go. You may be in a place where you thought God would have you somewhere else and He has you here. You may be in a place where you have family members who are sick. And it's very difficult. We have loved ones in this room who are sick that we're praying for. We have people very close to this ministry that are struggling physically right now. What do we do? How, how do we take... Now, remember what we said. We're, we don't do pop psychology here. We teach the truth, the rock-solid truth of the Word of God. But what good is that if it doesn't apply to our lives? Right? How do we take this home? Well, God is glorified when, first of all, we recognize our own sinfulness, our own unholiness. Go back one chapter. Look at Romans chapter 3. This verse will have new meaning to you now. Almost everyone in this room could quote it, but it might have new meaning to you now. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's glory is His righteousness and His holiness. I don't have any righteousness or holiness. What does all mean? <laughs> all means all, and that's all that all means. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How do we glorify God? When we recognize and acknowledge our own unholiness, our own unrighteousness, our own sinfulness. And number two, we glorify God when we approach Him by faith believing. You see, that faith 
that gives glory to Him because we come saying, we are sinful, you are sinless. We deserve no glory, you deserve all the glory. See, that salvation brings glory to Him. And then we glorify God. So we glorify God, first of all, when we recognize our own sinfulness and acknowledge His holiness. When we approach Him by faith, believing His promises. And number three, when we exalt His name. You remember Exodus 33? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to walk by you. And I'm going to show you my goodness. And I'm going to proclaim my name. I am. So how, how did the Apostle Paul? Why was God glorified in him? Because Paul acknowledged his own sinfulness. He said that all of the good works, all of my accomplishments are dung. God is righteous. He's holy. Let's go back to Genesis. Or let's go back to Galatians and wrap it up. How did the how was God glorified in the Apostle Paul? Verse twenty three. But they had heard only that he, which persecuted us in times past, now preacheth the works which once he destroyed. Is that what the Bible says? What's it say? Now preacheth the faith. How is God glorified? When we tell people that they can approach God only by faith in His death, burial, and resurrection based on the truthfulness of the Word of God. How many of you here want to glorify God? Amen? How do you do it? Acknowledge He's holy and you're not. Come to Him by faith. As a believer, continue to come to Him by faith. Continue to understand that, that you become holy, not by your works, but by faith. And then, proclaim His name. Exalt His name. Exalt His name. Now, don't forget what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that He has magnified His Word above His very name. So now, if you really want to glorify God, you do that acknowledging that He is holy and that you're not. Come to Him by faith. Proclaim His name. Submit to and exalt His Word. Anybody here want to glorify God? Man, aren't you glad you don't have to go and blow somebody up to do that? Right? The Muslim mother, she's looking at the picture on the refrigerator and she said they blow up so quickly these days. Can you imagine having a faith like that? That just wasn't appropriate. Imagine having a faith like that. No. That's not our faith, is it? You don't have to blow somebody up. You don't have to do anything. Come to Jesus Christ by faith. Exalt His name. Tell other people about Him. Amen? And then when that happens, God leads you to do things. God gives you gifts to serve Him. God helps you to serve in the church. God gives you the finances to give. God allows you to do all of these things, but none of those things make you righteous. Faith is what does that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're thankful for your word.